0: There's so many success stories out there, and I don't. Maybe other people just always have success, and that is awesome, and more power to them. But unfortunately, I do not seem to be one of those authors.
1: Welcome back to the Author Biz. I'm Stephen Campbell, and this is the show where we discuss meaningful ways to get better results with your author business. Will readers respond if you put your book up for sale as a pre-order before the release date? And if they do, is that a good thing or a bad thing? As is so often the case in the author business, the answer is wildly unclear. The prevailing wisdom right now seems to be that we should all offer pre-orders for our books, either through each of the digital stores that we sell through, or at least through some of them. But will pre-orders work for you, in your genre, with your writing habits, and your publication schedule? Today's guest is Elizabeth Spann Craig. She's a best-selling hybrid author who's published 20 books in multiple series. With Cruising for Murder, the ninth book in her Myrtle Cove cozy mystery series, she decided to try and experiment to test the value of pre-orders in her author business. Now you may know Elizabeth from her novels, but you may also know her as a blogger. She's a prolific blogger at her website, elizabethspancraig.com, where she publishes regularly on all things writing. She shares tips on everything from social media and platform building for authors to writing craft and of particular interest to me and probably to you since you're listening to this show. She posts a ton of really good information about the author business and what's working and not working for her. But before we get to the interview, a couple of quick things. First, we now have an AuthorBiz Facebook group where we can share information, ask questions, and chat with one another about what's happening in our own author businesses. It is a closed group, so the information we share inside the group doesn't go out into the general Facebook stream. If you're interested in joining our small but growing group, you can find us by searching on AuthorBiz on Facebook. I've had a few people like the Author Biz page instead of joining the group, so be aware that there is a difference. The group is titled Author Biz without the word the at the beginning. Uh, you can also find it just by going to theauthorbiz.com slash fbgroup, and I've got that page forwarded to the Facebook group if that's easier for you. Again, that's authorbiz.com fb Group. As always, we'll have show notes for this episode with links to everything we mention at the AuthorBiz website, where you'll also find a video version of this episode. And other than this introduction, the two versions are exactly the same. But for those of you who prefer video, we have that available for this episode. Uh, You can also find the video at YouTube, where there is now an AuthorBiz channel. So if you do find it that way, please subscribe. I'd love to have you as a subscriber as a subscriber to the show on YouTube. So that's it for the intro. Let's get to it. Elizabeth Spann-Craig, welcome to The Author Base.
0: Thanks so much for having me here. It's a pleasure.
1: It's great to have you back again. You were, I think, like... Episode 23 or 24, uh, you were a guest for a very popular episode, so it's a treat to have you back again. Before we get going, for people who didn't listen to that earlier episode, could you give us a quick background on yourself?
0: I would be happy to. I am a hybrid writer. I write cozy mysteries, uh, three different series, two for Penguin Random House, but I've gotten my rights back for what I can with those series. One is now strictly self-published completely. Mm -hmm. And I also share writing links on Twitter, try to share resources with other writers like you do yourself,
1: Stephen. Do you ever? And you also have, you're a prodigious blogger, which is the source of uh, our material here today. You wrote a blog post the other day about an experiment that you did uh, for pre-orders. And one of the things I love about your blog is that you try things that don't always work, and then you write about the results no matter what the results are.
0: I like to share my failures
1: (laughs) (laughs) and successes. Come on. There's
0: there's so many success stories out there and I don't, I mean, maybe other people just always have success and that is awesome and more power to them. But unfortunately I do not seem to be one of those authors. (laughs) I I try some things and they work great. Mm -hmm. Like I'm having a lot of success doing stuff like metadata and really nerdy, boring stuff. And some things I try that are supposed to be absolutely amazing, like pre-orders, yes. which I kept hearing about, you know, and you I'm sure you've heard the same thing, mm-hmm. do pre-orders, this is what
1: you need to do, did not work so well for me. Yeah, it's interesting, because everyone that I talk to about pre-orders, I'll, they'll say, hey, I, I did a pre-order for this. And I'll say, really, why? And the answer is always because everyone's doing it, and it's what you're supposed to do. And, uh, you know, it... Things are different for everybody, depending on what genre you write, who your audience is, where this book is in your series, even uh, your results or your mileage, uh, to quote a commercial, may vary. So let's, <laughs> let's sort of talk about why, first, why you decided to do pre-orders for the ninth book in the series. Is that right?
0: It is the ninth book in the series. Okay. And I did it because Mark Coker said it was a good (laughs) (laughs)
1: And we'll get back to Mark Coker.
0: (laughs) Yes, and I do agree with a lot that Mark says. Mm -hmm. I think he's a super smart guy, and I've certainly put a lot of his tips to good use before. I thought, I'm going to give this a go. There's no reason not to. Uh, It just didn't work for me. It it wasn't something that worked. I, I loved especially what he mentioned was the ability to hyperlink that's already on the market for sale mm-hmm. material in the back matter of your books. I thought this is genius. This is genius. I'm going to do that. That's what I always want to do. And so I did. Mm-hmm. That's what I did.
1: And this is for a book that's not out yet, right? It's, it's not coming out until August because you also followed Mark's advice to have a long runway for the pre-order.
0: Exactly. He said a minimum, I mean, barest minimum of five days. He recommended a preferred minimum of four to 12 weeks. And he said the maximum and what he recommended is most recommended was a year in advance. And I didn't quite make the year. I think it's it's like 10 months or something like that. Very close to that. I thought I'm going to do it. Mark said so. (laughs) I'm going to do it. And I tried it, and it's just a really long pre-order period. And my readers, they are not responding to that at all.
1: Well, it's, it's interesting because we all think of this kind of thing. Everything that we do with ordering and pricing and all the components of that, we think of only in terms of possible sales. But there are other components of this. I mean, you, you put the book up for sale maybe even before you started writing it.
0: Oh, the book, I don't even have a really good outline.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay.
0: No pressure. I mean, the, the, I, I keep thinking, that I was like, I could be hit by a train in downtown Matthews, North Carolina tomorrow. And this book, I mean, not that people are buying it, but heck, if they were buying it, what, what would happen then? I assumed that they would just refund everybody and tell them the author died. I don't <laughs> really
1: know. All right. Well, let, let's take a step back. And first, talk about the way pre-orders work on the different platforms and why you chose to to offer pre-orders on some platforms and not others.
0: Yes. Okay. Mark recommended, and I agreed with him, let's shoot for Apple and Kobo in particular. He did throw a little bone out there to Barnes & Noble, but we all know we are not selling a lot of books on Barnes & Noble. Mm -hmm. Uh, I did put it up there on Barnes & Noble anyway. The reasons that I specifically didn't put them on Amazon, one of them was one of Mark's reasons, which is that the sales do not accumulate. Mm-hmm. In other words, Amazon counts the sale towards that day and that day only. So you get some a little boost in visibility for that day, but you don't get it on the release day, which is really when you want a real spike in visibility and, and sales and sales ranking. And the second reason is because Amazon does not offer assetless pre ordering. In other words, metadata only, mm-hmm. which Smashwords and Drafted Digital do offer. In other words, you have to have a manuscript or something approximately. Something that looks manuscript.
1: like a manuscript.
0: <laughs> something that looks like a manuscript. And I made a joke in the post about uh, putting your grocery list up mm-hmm. there, but I swear, I know people have said, I'm just putting all kinds, I'm just throwing stuff up there so it kind of holds my place. And I just, I can't work that way. That just, that doesn't seem right. I'm just worried that somehow I'm going to lose my mind and and not put the actual manuscript in there or put some sort of a draft in there. Because it locks down 10 days before your release. Mm -hmm. Amazon says you must have the final manuscript because that's what's going live. So you have to have it ready by that time. And it's not that I can't follow a deadline. I just thought, this is, I mean, I don't even have an outline for this book. I, I can't just put something randomly up there.
1: And things happen. It, it's possible that you could put a draft up there and then you get sick, and yes. all of a sudden, you know, a first draft is going out to people that have paid good money for the book, and that would be kind of sort of embarrassing. So, it, you know, again, let's get back to the idea of things other than just revenue uh, that are involved in making the decision to do the pre-order. There's the additional stress of having this fixed deadline that if you're indie publishing a book, we don't normally have, even if if you're a hybrid author. So even your traditional publishers probably not going to come by and take a finger or something if you're a day late.
0: Well, the way that the traditional publishers work, at least for my publishers, for uh, Penguin Random House, is that it was real padded and usually we complain about that so i would have a deadline that was usually about 9 or 10 months in advance of my release date that just threw i mean that just is really padding it in case the author loses her mind or something happens with the you know the author's kids or whatever can life happens in the meantime so I'd turn something in, or sometimes I'd ask for an extension. I mean, a couple of times I did have something to come up, and I was like, "Can I get a week here or there?" They were, already, you know, always happy to work with me, even though it was in the contract that was my deadline, and it was fine. I mean, but I had a long—that's a long lead period in there for fixing things or for being really late. And obviously, if you're an indie author, you just don't have that. I mean, you like to think, okay, I'm going to write a book and I'm going to have it ready that long before. But the truth is, I'm going to release it if it's ready that far in advance. I'm not going to just sit on a book. And that's another problem I have with it. If I have the book done early, let's say I do, and right now it's not looking like it's <laughs> Let's say I did. Uh-huh. I just, I'd just have to wait until the pre-order period is up and then release it. And that just goes against what I've always done as an indie author. As a trad-published author, I knew that was part of the system, so I just did it, but...
1: That's not what I do now. All right. Other than the reason that everyone's doing it and it just seemed like the right thing to do, were there other specific things that you hope to accomplish by offering the pre-order over the, those few platforms?
0: I think so. I Most of it was buzz. I wanted the readers to be excited about it. Of course, I wanted them to buy it. There was also, Mark had mentioned, the availability sometimes of merchandising on Apple, in which case... Apple, you know, would say, "Oh, these sales are going really well. Let's continue promoting this." So they sort of catch the buzz, and then they put you on their coming soon um, or featured books page, and you get these neat merchandising opportunities to push a book. So it seems like it's getting really hot, and then before your release happens. That, I mean, I thought, okay, that may happen. In my case, my sales have always been just very steady. It's not one of these. I don't write a genre whereby it's like, oh, I have to get that. It's not like Girl on the Train or something like that. I just, I have my readers. They're very loyal. And my sales are going to be pretty steady for the, except for like the first week after release when it it does get very heavy sales. But So I was like, well, we'll see. But I've never had a lot of luck with Apple. That was another thing. It's never... Really been my platform to sell on,
1: but you do sell books on those other platforms. So we're not just saying that you sell one hundred percent of your books on Amazon, and you were trying this experiment on the other platforms. And the fact that it hasn't gone as well as you expected shouldn't be a surprise because you, you could you could run some numbers and project what you might have hoped to sell, and I am guessing you didn't come anywhere close to that.
0: nowhere close. So for me, it's a matter of I'd say probably. Eh, I'm going to say maybe, maybe 20% of my sales are on non-Amazon retailers. It's, I have a presence there. I sell well. Even my box sets sell pretty well on Apple and the other non-Amazon retailers. So I thought, okay, well, maybe I'll just pick up at least a few sales, make it worth my while. But since January of this year, when I pulled up my drafted digital dashboard, uh-huh. I was like, wow, I have zero <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's a small number <laughs>
0: sales it's a really low number there and comparing that to you know my other releases even my box sets I mean the box sets which I don't I mean I don't think I could even pay somebody to take them off my hands with Amazon they sell well on these other channels these non-Amazon channels I've sold like 40 of those since the start of the year for just one of my box sets but zero for this exciting new release and this ninth in a series that my readers really like. Um, so it's, it's been really disappointing that way. And in addition, it's been time-consuming for me because my readers will email me very confused. My readers have been extremely confused about the pre-order. I have gotten emails saying, Elizabeth, I don't understand. I've always gotten your books on Amazon before. Are you not going through Amazon anymore? Mm-hmm. How will I get your books? So I've gotten several of those. I usually get about one complaint. I'd say a complaint or confused email a week. I've had emails where they say, I've been seeing this cover, but I can't find the book for sale. Is this an old book or have you recovered a book? So I've had some of those.
1: Yeah. And that's sort of the nightmare scenario that they've seen the cover so many times that when it finally comes out on Amazon, it's like, oh, I must have already read that one because I've seen the cover before.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, that that really troubled me too. I thought, okay, they've seen the cover for so long. It's been in the backs of books, I've had it on my website, they've seen it around. They're thinking, I know, that's how sometimes I look at a book and I'm like, oh, yeah, I've I've read that before just looking at the cover. So again, they're so familiar with the cover that I I'm worried they're thinking I've already read this book. And mm-hmm. if they don't subscribe to my email newsletter, then, you know, they may continue thinking that.
1: And did you seriously consider putting it up for pre-order on Amazon as well, or did you just exclude that from your thinking right from the start?
0: You know, the only thing that I toyed with was the idea of putting it up on CreateSpace, the print mm-hmm. format for Amazon, and the reasons for doing that would be that you can um, then get reviews for the book, and it will cross populate over to the pre-order page for Amazon, so you can actually get reviews on the book. It's sort of one of these little tricks before the book releases. Mm-hmm. I have a feeling, again, that would really increase the number of confused emails that I would (laughs) get. People are reading this clearly. They're even reviewing it. Why can't I get it? I think that would be a problem, Um, although it would be nice to be able to offer a Goodreads giveaway or something Mm -hmm. like that, and then you know, okay, I can get reviews. I, I think that would be a good method, but honestly, after I thought about how confusing that might be, I decided not to do
1: it. How much of the confusion do you think is because of your reader base? You write cozy mysteries, and those are typically targeted to a certain segment of of readers. So how much of it do you you attribute to that?
0: I attribute a good deal to that, honestly. I I feel like, and you're right, I write cozy mysteries. I also, the particular series that we're talking about is an octogenarian sleuth. I do have a lot of octogenarians and non who are reading my books, just self-reporting back into me. Mm -hmm. I think some of that is definitely a little bit of confusion on on their part, but I also think that I believe anyone, maybe middle-aged and up, is reluctant. Just general feedback that I've gotten from people I know and writers I know may be reluctant to get a pre-order, and I think the reason is immediacy. We want to buy Mm -hmm. it. We want to read it right then. And it's almost a, a little teaser, you know, in a way, just to see it available, and you can purchase it, but you can't read it. And I think that's that might be frustrating for some people. I know that I never buy pre-orders for myself, but I do buy them for my kids. One mm-hmm. kid's in college, and I've got a, a teen daughter also who have favorite series, and I'm thinking, I can't keep track of these favorite series unless I buy them now. Mm-hmm. But for myself, I would never do that. So, I mean, I'm thinking, you know, middle-aged up. So maybe if you wrote um, YA, although Mark Coker in his new study said most of the successful pre-orders were romance. So perhaps it's also a genre problem.
1: That's that's entirely possible as well. And I do want to get to what Mark Coker said, uh, but we'll do that. I, I first want to talk about my experience with, with pre-orders as a reader, because I I'm on a lot of email lists. I'm pretty sure I'm on one or two of your email lists. And in the past, I'd get these email messages from people saying, my book's available for pre-order. Please go buy it. So I would go and buy it. And then as I began to learn what was actually going on with the pre-orders, I found myself reacting differently when they'd say that, thinking in my own mind, I'm actually hurting them by going out and pre-ordering the book. They would be better off if I bought it on release day. So I'd just make a little calendar entry and then go buy it on release day. I don't know what the right thing to do is, um, but I think so many of us as authors, we just, we hear these things and we take it as gospel that this is something that works for everyone and nothing works for everyone except maybe book, Bub. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> that is so true. And I think you're right. I mean, maybe we're thinking, maybe we're thinking about it very hard because we are writers and we don't want to hurt other writers. But I know this discussion has been going on for years because even when I was traditionally published solely I was on those little email loops, you know, like the Google, uh, I guess it's Yahoo groups or something like that with a bunch of other mystery writers. And they were already complaining about pre-orders back then because they were concerned that they would ship early to Barnes & Noble and Barnes & Noble would put them out early. And then their sales would be counted before their release date and it would mess up their possibilities on New York Times bestseller list or USA Today, whatever. And so it's never been a really popular thing with writers to do, which is why when I saw some advice saying, you know, this is what you should try to do with the pre-orders, I thought, well, that kind of flies in the face of what I've always heard. But I'm always open to it. Yeah.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. Now, Mark Coker, who is the founder, I think, of Smashwords. For people who don't know who Mark is, um, he has been beating the pre-order drum for a while. And one of the reasons, of course, is that Smashwords uh, was one of the early adopters for making pre-orders available to authors. So it's something that differentiated them, and now everyone offers it, but he's still he's still beating the drum. And they just released, like last Sunday, uh, the survey results for 2016, and they're fascinating. I'll link to them in the show notes. But one of the things that was in there was some statistics that he quoted about the success of authors who offered pre-orders versus uh, authors who didn't. And he says... That it's like it's just under 14 percent of authors, SmashWord authors, are offering pre-orders. So 85, 86 percent are not, and and then he quotes some statistics to show that the people offering pre-orders are doing better than the other authors. Of course, you can use statistics to paint any picture that you want to paint, um, but I I found that interesting, and it it sort of flies in the in the face of all of the factual data that I've seen, you know, or not, not factual, more anecdotal. I mean, people like you that I'm talking to when you say, why did, why did you do it? And they say, well, because everyone's doing it. How did it go? Well, you know, I sold a few copies and then, you know, most people they're doing it just on Amazon. And, and then my first day I didn't get the bump and it's just the worst of all possible worlds in doing it that way. So I, I think we, we need to take things like these statistics that, that Mark, shares and think how they can apply to us and, and follow people like you who are actually out there running experiments and talking about them and uh, and sharing the data, which is wonderful.
0: Well, thanks. And I mean, Mark did, he did mention some things that we could try and you know, that would make it work. And I did not try some of the things that he recommended. I don't do cover reveals because, you know, I've got 20 books out there. I felt like, you know, how many times can you get married to <laughs> still wear the white dress? You right. know, just... Yeah, I've got three or four releases usually in a year. I'm not going to just do cover reveals that many times. Everybody would get sick of me. So there are things I could have done. I could have put it on Amazon. I could have sent something out to my email newsletter group, and I didn't do that because I knew most of them shop at Amazon. I Mm -hmm. didn't want to make them mad. There are things I could have done that if you're not in the same situation, you could try them. And see if it works for you. It's worth a try. Or maybe make it a shorter pre-order period. Maybe try it for, you know, a month or, you know, shorter mm-hmm. than that instead of trying it for 10 months to a year.
1: Now, is this a definite no for you going forward?
0: It is. I'm feeling like it, it's pretty much a definite no for cozy mysteries anyway. Mm-hmm. If I try another genre, I might give it a go. But definitely not going to try it again with my Myrtle series, that's for sure.
1: About uh, 25% of our audience are people that are working on their debut novel. Would you recommend, based on your experience, that, that someone with a debut novel offer it uh, as a pre-order?
0: I think the prevailing wisdom on that is they should consider KDP Select, which mm-hmm. is also something else I don't do, instead of going wide with it. And I think if you do that, you may as well go ahead and try an Amazon pre-order and see how that works for you. For a first book, I think that might work better. And you get the cool also box as soon as mm-hmm. it goes live, which it populates customers who bought such-and-so, also purchased such-and-so. So, so you, you know those customers get suggestions, hey, try this book if you like that book which is really important. Yeah. I think it's, it's definitely worth a
1: try. There are a lot of benefits that accrue to authors, especially authors that, that have a built-in audience, I think, uh, at Amazon, but those are offset by some of the negatives, the biggest being that you just don't get that big two or three day bump when you send out the email to your list saying, hey, the, the book's available. So y- you do get some things like being populated in the also, bo- also bots uh, 30 days or 60 days ahead of time. But uh, the negatives are reader confusion, like uh, what, y- what you've experienced, um, and the pressure of, especially if you're a first-time author, knowing that this thing's got to be up there 10 days before this date that you committed to 60 days ago. And uh, you get yes. your book back from your editor, and it's like, uh-oh. <laughs> it's,
0: it's scary. And, uh, I don't know. I mean, because editors can get sick. Formatters can have problems. Cover designers, it doesn't always work out. So things can happen. Uh, not only that, but I would say also it's just you've got to think about the amount of time that you're spending promoting a book that possibly you haven't even written yet. Uh, because that's the best what – they, what they recommend is, is just sort of a best practice for these pre-orders is go ahead and promote it as if it were a release and do some giveaways and do some contests and go on a blog tour and build up this hype. And then you've got to say to yourself, that this book – it's not even out yet, and I need to be writing the book, and I also need to be promoting the other books that I've got. So when you're looking at how much time can I spend on this one thing, it starts to really get out of control, I think.
1: When you when you typically release a book – and let's say there were no pre-orders involved – when you typically release a book, do you have a, a, a set period of time that's a part of your process for promoting a new release? Is, is it like a month or two weeks or – three days.
0: Yeah. I don't promote them. Okay. I mean, that is, <laughs> I, mean that's, and, and that's, I mean, think was a frustration that the, obviously Penguin had probably with me. I did mm-hmm. the first couple of books I had with them, but I thought, no, I'm just going to keep on going. So I mean, promote, okay. What I'm being a little bit facetious mm-hmm. there. My idea of promoting a new release is to maybe put something up on Facebook the big thing is send out an email to my newsletter list. That would be the big thing. Mm-hmm. And then just updating my website. I can't think of anything else I do. Actually, it's kind of embarrassing. I, I really that's all I do. And it seems to work, and it usually takes, I would say probably three days to get traction, mm-hmm. but I already have an established reader base. Yes, and it would yes. be great to get more readers, but mm-hmm. I just I'm not great at promoting sometimes. And I just it's really to easy to
1: get sucked right. down the promotional rat hole and just spend all your time for a period of time doing that and then all of a sudden you're out of your daily routines and daily habits and you're sitting there refreshing your screen looking for new sales and it it just seems like it could be a really tedious process especially for new authors
0: I think so. And also frustrating uh, because it, it takes a while for it to get traction. And of course, they always say it's the long tail. And I think that's true. It's, it's the performance of the book, you know, for the author's lifetime, really, is whats is what it is.
1: All right. For people out there listening who like the kinds of things that you write, and some of them will, because I really like cozy mysteries myself, although I didn't know that they were cozy mysteries when I started reading them. But you have two books coming out this year, at least two. So let's talk for a minute about those, if you would.
0: Yes, I have got the what we've been talking about <laughs>
1: <laughs> that you get. That's available for pre-order now on Cobo and iTunes.
0: <laughs> Cruising for Murder, which is a Myrtle Clover release, and I also have Patch of Trouble, which is coming up. It should be released the first week of May, and that is my Southern Quilting Mysteries. This is the first time I've gone solo on that series since I got the rights back from Penguin. So a little scary. Oh, I
1: didn't realize that. I thought this was going to be another Penguin release. Okay.
0: It's not. This is the – it's been very scary because, you know, you don't have your editor and your whole little – it's funny because you would think it would be just as easy as doing your other series. But it's, it's not. It's a little scary. Um, so that comes out probably the first week of May. All
1: right. Now, why is it – you know, we're almost <laughs> done, but I have to ask this question. Why is it different? What's different about that than doing your other series? Are you using the same editors?
0: I, I'm not well, no. And, and unfortunately, uh, Penguin Let Go, uh, they had, of course, a huge amount of turnaround mm-hmm. with employees. And so my, uh, editor got laid off, which is just shocking to me. I mean, I thought she was on a promo. She was going to be just executive level up there. are so good.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so I, she, I, honestly, I, I thought I, there's no way I can afford her freelance because, you know, she lives in Manhattan. Right. <laughs> <laughs> So I have the same editor that I use for my Myrtle Clover, Clover series, Judy Beatty, who does a great job. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just, it, it, she honestly was a collaborator with me. She collaborated. She would say, Elizabeth, you know, your readers really love uh-huh. this texture because it's quilting. I'm not a quilter. I have to fake it. I read a lot mm-hmm. about quilting. I watch a lot of YouTube videos on quilting. Uh-huh she really helped me and she collaborated with me and she brought up ideas and not having that for this one series has been
1: okay i get you big adjustment i get you so it's an exciting few months coming up for you
0: exactly all right
1: and where can people find out more about you and more importantly subscribe to your blog which is fantastic for writers
0: If you go to my website, elizabethspancraig.com, there is a tab there for blogs, and the sign-up form is right there in the sidebar.
1: And you do something really clever on your blog that a lot of us don't do. A lot of writers uh, blog about writing, which isn't really directed at your readers. You actually have two different email lists, one for readers and one for writers.
0: I do. I do. And occasionally they accidentally go on the wrong list and ask me to do it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> But it's a clever idea. It's, it's a good way to segment things that way so that your readers get new release information and your writer friends are getting these wonderful writing tips that you send out and post about constantly and your Twitterific links.
0: Thank you. Yes. So, so I think it works well. I, I'd recommend that to anybody. Two separate newsletters.
1: All right. Thanks so much for being here again, Elizabeth. I appreciate Thank it.
0: You. Thanks, Stephen. I appreciate it.